You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the weekend edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Here's Weston Nakamura to break down everything you need to know. Greetings everybody, my name is Weston Nakamura from Real Vision in Tokyo, Japan, and I'm here with a public service announcement. If you listen to me, you will lose all of your money. And if you use me as a reverse indicator, you will still lose all of your money. And the reason... Well, the reason is very simple. The reason is because I'm a very stupid person, and these are very stupid ideas. Thank you. Okay, so with that said, uh, what do you say we talk about speculative options trading, shall we? Um, so this is a follow-up video from my previous one, which was about how to and how not to trade geopolitical risk. Um, if you haven't seen it, please check it out if you have. Thank you for doing so. Um, I hope that you found it, I don't know, interesting, amusing, or to lose money. Whatever your reason was, thank you for watching it. Okay, so first of all, for those of you who are um, not familiar, uh, I'm an options trader. Most of the active like trading that I do um, is with listed derivatives, as in futures and options on futures. Mostly options on futures. Um, I do trade futures sometimes, but really not that often. Like, I'll trade futures just to kind of press into momentum directionally. Um, but by and large, uh, I trade options. I do also trade options on, you know, listed single stocks. Um, I also consider, like, you know, uh, an ETF to be a listed single stock because it's... If, it's, if it trades on, like, the New York Stock Exchange um, from 9.30 a.m. Eastern to 4 p.m., you know, I mean, that's basically kind of in that same category. Whereas futures trade around the clock. Like, say, oh, I don't know, when it's daytime where I am in Tokyo. Um, how convenient, right? Um, but that actually is the reason that I do trade futures. It trades around the clock. And when, so when you have things like geopolitical risk, like, Vladimir Putin's going to do whatever the hell he is going to do. He, he, the last thing he's thinking about is, oh, what time is it? Like, is it pre-market right now in Europe? Like, no, right? So you have to um, be able to both get out of positions or open positions. And so futures allows you to do that. Obviously, it's not 24-7, um, but it's close enough. You know, I don't trade all the time. I only trade when I see opportunities to trade. Um, and when I do so, I have a pool of capital that I have set aside specifically for this purpose. Yes, like, all of them are speculative. But, with that said, I don't see what the difference is between investing and speculation. I I don't know what the difference is. Um, and it's because everyone has their own different definitions of them. But by and large, it seems to be that, like, speculation is risky and irresponsible and bad but investing is like you know responsible and it is what you should be doing and whatever right and the real like discerning characteristic between those two words it seems to be like the time horizon 
right? So if you're like shorter term, that's speculation, that's bad. But if you're super long term buy and hold, then that's investing, that's good. Personally, I think that that is such bullshit. Um, I I think that that is so, so arbitrary. How do you draw that line between like, you know, so like my sweet spot is days to weeks, right? I personally think that if I am trading an options position with the intention of trading it for like, you know, a two week time horizon, if that position is open, I'm on top of it, right? I am risk managing it. I am very much hands on. Whereas the investing, the buy and hold type of thing is you buy like, you know, shares of Coca-Cola and then you're supposed to like reinvest your dividends and you just leave it there for half a decade. And then when you like come back to it, it's supposed to be like this, you know, exponential, like compounded uh, pile of like returns. And that's like the responsible thing to do, right? Just to buy and hold it no matter what unconditionally throughout any, regardless of the market conditions or anything like that. Um, that is nonsense. Like what I'm doing is I am very actively keeping an eye on my position. The other investing is literally like just dropping a kid off at the foster home for like 18 years and just leaving him there. So you tell me which one is like more irresponsible. I'm not saying that buy and hold is bad or irresponsible or anything like that, but I just like very much disagree with this somehow speculation is different and bad or worse. I don't see a difference. And if there is a difference, it would be the better of the two. Okay. So here's what I traded. Um, and so these are going to be in two like clusters, two batches. Like this, the following is, uh, me doing those like kind of sentiment flows driven trades. Um, so I was long March calls on Lockheed Martin LMT. Um, I had an 1,800% return, a 1,800% return in four trading days. I was long March calls on TAN, the Solar Energy ETF, for a 290% return in three trading days. And long March calls on XOP, which is an oil and gas exploration ETF, for a 312% return in eight trading days. And then for my for the other like cluster you know, playing the, um, market mechanics, uh, part of it. And so these are my larger size trades, more, more, my more serious, like macro trades. So if you recall in my, my very first trading video I did for YouTube, uh, real vision, um, was the January FOMC this past January, uh, on that day. And, uh, that's when I was getting killed and everything except for one position that was like saving everything. And that was being long puts on five-year treasury futures, if you remember that. Um, I've since closed that out for a 940% return. And then I flipped the other way and I got bullish on bonds. So I'm betting that bond yields will fall. And then I went long 10-year treasury calls, which is still an open trade, but I've, um, I've gotten my principal capital out. And so that's currently sitting at uh, 470% up. And then crude. So I was long crude 100 strike calls. Uh, that has an eight. Uh, that has a 287% return in 
the span of 11 or 12 hours. Um, which I don't usually do, but I did this time. Uh, I sold that position basically as close to the top tick like as one could get. Right at 100, at crude at 100, like when it first hit 100, and then it fell back down towards 90. So I sold it basically right at that 100 mark before it did so, because I thought that it might do so, and it did. Um, and when it fell, pulled back again, to, you know, towards like the low 90s, I then reloaded back and got long calls again. Um, but this time I'm just purely using house money from the first trade and not any principal capital um, when I'm, you know, re-entering the trade, right? So the new position, or positions, because I actually have more than one strike open, but um, so this new position right now is up about almost 500% by, by themselves. Um, so if you calculate that from my initial principal capital that I've initially put in, uh, I am currently up about 1400%, 1,400% on trading crude oil. Um, and then also, if you recall, I ha also had a, um, a long uh, December 22 euro dollar call position from January FOMC uh, video uh, that I rolled my June euro dollar losses into my December euro dollar calls to try to, you know, double down. Um, and I kept doubling down. And so that's still a little bit trade. And I was able to actually pull my principal capital out of that as well. So I'm basically owning for free the bet that in case the Fed cannot hike seven consecutive times um, for any reason. I don't care what the reason is, right? Okay, so let me just go over the first batch first. Um, so that's the three single stock uh, calls. So that's Lockheed Martin, uh, XOP, the oil and gas ETF, and then the uh, TAN, which is the solar uh, ETF. So my catalyst for those trades was the uh, State of the Union, Joe Biden's State of the Union. Now, there's a few ways I do this, but most like this is my approach most of the time. So when I'm trading a catalyst, okay, which is typically what I would be doing with if I'm trading options if I'm using options right because I, I want a sudden sharp one directional move right as opposed to a slow linear move that is not ideal for options trading so with these like event driven options trades I'm not actually trading the event itself okay I'm trading the anticipation of the event the anticipation of other market participants of the event okay so let me explain so as I mentioned in like previous trading videos, especially as it relates to options trading, which you know I have a defined 100% max downside and potential multiples in asymmetric upside. So my goal isn't to make like uh, X percent return or something like that, right? Or like some price target hit or whatever. Um, my goal is to be able to own you know a meaningfully sized position for free with house money. And I do that by getting my, you know, principal capital out of the market uh, so that I'm no longer subject to losses and I'm just playing with house money. If I'm able to remove my initial capital out of the, the market, like and get it out, off the table, then I, there, there's no way for me to have any losses. So when I look at like a prospective trade and I'm looking at like risk reward and seeing if there's enough like, like upside, I look at it like it, there has to be a lot of upside because there has to be enough upside so that I can start to exit the trade 
and get my principal out of there, but still leave enough upside left for my remaining house money um, to then, you know, experience the catalyst itself. You know, so when I say that I'm not trading the event, right? It's like, this is what I mean. Like, so the day of the State of the Union, um, that day, that trading day, right, where the State of the Union was like later that night, I had to be out of basically all of my positions. Um, and if I was able to um, basically have enough gains where I could leave some on, then great. But because I wasn't betting on Joe Biden to uh, start talking up defense spending and then Lockheed Martin goes up the next day. Or how we need to be like, you know, energy independent from Russia to hold it through um, those and like speculate on what Joe Biden's going to say. What I was doing was that Others were going to speculate that that would happen, and they were going to hold it through. So I am trying to beat those people to it, you know, so I just want to get there before they do. Have them bid up these options and the stock itself, and then, like, the day of the State of the Union, after I have my 4 or 5x return, I am selling out of my position, I'm selling it to these, like, latecomers. That's my goal is not so like it's not the to hold it through the actual event. And thank God I didn't because all three of those, I'm pretty sure all three of those got crushed the next day uh, because Joe Biden did not like, in, you know, talk about some increase in defense spending, nor did he talk about like an increase in like solar infrastructure, like spending, nor did he talk about drill, baby drill. So Lockheed Martin, so LMT, the stock was at 400 a share. Um, I went long out of the money for 20 calls. I paid, was it a dollar 80, uh, average price to do so. And that was a 10 or 15 Delta call at the time. So about 10 to 15% chance of it expiring in the money. That's what that $1 in 80 cents, um, premium reflects. Stock is now at 450 per share. Um, because defense stocks rallied on Ukraine. So my 420 calls went from being out of the money to now deep in the money uh, or from being a 15 delta call to now a, you know, 80 delta call or from being priced at $1.80 per options contract to over $20 per options contract. Actually, $33 per contract. Okay, so again, that's almost 2,000% return. Now, obviously, I took my principal out. Um, I took some profit at, like, up, like, 6x, then up at, like, you know, 10x. You know, so I slowly chip away, right? Um, before heading into the State of the Union, I was just completely closed out. And I was just left with, only like, a few contracts. Not completely closed out. I was just left with, like, a few contracts long. Um, and so that's basically how I, I played it. And then, and then Lockheed got crushed the next day, right? So... I'm playing the anticipation and I'm playing like both the directional move in the underlying stock itself going up. And then I'm also playing the uh, demand for options um, for call options and implied volatility to go up. And that's what I want to sell into. Right. It's like it's like kind of like buying, you know, concert tickets or something. Um, but as like a scalper, like I don't intend to I don't intend to go to the concert. I intend to 
sell that ticket back to latecomers who are trying to buy tickets to attend the concert, and I'm going to sell it at a very, very high premium, uh, hopefully. Um, and hopefully I could actually sell it at such a high premium that I could just have paid for my own, like, a free concert ticket, and I can attend the concert myself. I don't know if that analogy made sense at all, okay? So that's, like, generally how I think about those sort of trades. Um, is like, uh, if I'm playing, like, an event, I'm not holding it through the event. I'm playing human beings. I'm not playing the event. I'm playing people uh, who I think that I might have beaten to the race that are going to come in after me with their capital and, you know, inflate my position and I can sell to, like, the latecomers. But I want to be out of the position before the actual binary yes or no, um, you know, it, it, like decision or event or whatever happens. Because what I want to do is to sell into max uncertainty. Once there's certainty, once there's an answer, you get implied volatility of collapse, um, and you also get buy the rumor, sell the, the news like flows as well. Um, and by the way, like this is not like uh, a rare sort of thing. Like if you think about it, like, you know, I was talking about how Markets did not react to the President of the United States and the Secretary of State saying that Russia was go imminently going to invade Ukraine. That should be a risk-off like signal to markets, but it didn't happen. Um, and I think that also it didn't happen because it didn't happen. In other words, people who were like, is that already priced in? I guess it's priced in because the markets aren't moving. But really what it was, was like I said, is so many people who just don't believe that Joe Biden is like, you know, like mentally there. And so everything he says must be completely false or whatever. Um, and what you get though, are markets that are not efficient. You have like markets that have, that went from like high frequency trading and pricing in everything the split second that like a, you know, a headline hits to now because of like, you know, this explosion of retail involvement, Markets have slowed back down to human pace now. Um, and in fact, the way that I see it, the more retail uh, trading activity that's happening, right, this retail explosion that's happening, the more that that phenomenon, that trend happens, and simultaneously, the more polarized that people are getting in terms of what kind of news that they're consuming and the different, like, fact bubbles that people live in. The more that those two things are happening in tandem, right? The more the retail there is and the more that those retail participants are in their own like reality bubbles, the more mispricing of reality that exists in markets and thus the more low hanging fruit for trading that there is. So if you're not some like biased political clown, like it's really never been easy, easier to make money in markets. People are living in totally different realities. They're, they're not looking at the same facts. So markets are have never been like more inefficient in a very long time. So that confluence of retail involvement um, as a greater and greater percentage of market impacting flows, and then those individuals, you know, increasingly getting more polarized, it makes it easier and easier to pick off alpha because people are so politically charged and that's how they, they, they trade off of that, right? You, and so ex, you can totally exploit that, but you cannot be one of those people if you're gonna exploit that, right? That's why I keep on hammering this point home about being purely objective, being religiously objective, right? It's a conscious thing you have to do, it's not at the subconscious level, okay? Okay, finally, let's just talk about the treasury market price action because 
uh, I nailed this as well. I was long puts on treasuries as they were screaming towards that 2% on uh, the tenure. So that was working out fantastically well. I closed them right at the right moment, and then I flipped directionally, and then I went long calls on 10-year U.S. Treasuries, which I'm still long. And I nailed that pivot point as well. How did I do this? I've never heard anyone like actually fully explain specifically the price action behavior behind Treasuries, okay? So, if you actually watched my videos before, you could piece them together and the explanation's already there. So... When treasury yields were on their way up, okay, uh, like heading towards 2%, that was because of options positioning. Specifically what I pointed out in my previous FOMC trading video and the reason that I was bearish on uh, treasuries and that's why I owned five-year treasury futures puts. So recall this. So there's a total of, you know, over 50 billion notional in just those two contracts alone. For March expiry, 127 and 127 half puts. And if you take a look at this chart that I have just made, it's 10-year U.S. Treasury futures and the 10-year U.S. Treasury futures volume on the bottom. You can see that volume spike. And then in blue is just the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield overlaid on top. And obviously, it's going to be an exact mirror opposite of the 10-year U.S. Treasury futures price and price action. The 127 strike level, we are like right there. Um, but if the market were to trade through that, right, and, and just continue to, to uh, fall below, then you would have seen like this wave of... Uh, futures selling because of this huge outstanding put options open interest position uh, that's that's been like kind of building up over the last month and if the current like tenure yield is just under 1.9% and it hasn't hit that 127 level yet then if it cliff dives through 127 you're going to see tenure yields at or above 2% this is for March expiry, but that means that they expire um, February, February like 18th or something like that, somewhere around there. Or 50 million, you know, notional spread across just two strike prices for which the current spot market is like right there already. Like we are basically sitting on a knife's edge right now. Like 10 year yields can, they just need to get shoved a little bit more and they'll, they could potentially blast to and through two percent and if that happens that's going to i mean that's the risk-free rate that's going to move global cross assets I just want people to be aware that the treasury market is on a very like kind of teetering on an edge right now um i'm sure that the two percent level has like a wall of like buying and like limit orders like kind of just sitting there waiting to be filled um but that's just kind of random speculation on my point on my part who who the hell knows if that's if that really is the case but if treasuries like scream through two percent uh we're living in a different world in markets right um and so this is exactly why i bought these um five-year treasury puts because i don't want to buy puts on the tens because clearly the you know implied volatility is being bid up right now because of like positions like this 
on the other side, at the front end of the curve, you know, like two-year um, treasuries, that they, I mean, there's those are really tricky to to trade options on because there is no vol. Like there's the, like they don't move, but when they do, volatility premium is just way too expensive, like in an instant already. You can't. It's it's really hard to to, to see like a, a like a super convex move at the very front end. So essentially, I can't buy either of those. But you know, the the Fed is pushing front end rates, uh, front end yields higher, right? So there's that force going on, and then at the long end, I have this potential, you know, gamma flip in which you know you could see. Uh, 10-year yields explode to and through 2% because of these, you know, these massive options um, outstanding positions. So if either of those go off or if both those go off and you see like front-end yields rise or you see 10-year yields rise or you see both, then five-year yields are going to also skyrocket and therefore five-year treasuries are, you know, futures are going to sell off and that benefits my put position. And sure enough, shortly thereafter, we saw Treasury futures sell off below 127 into the 126 handle, and then further below. And each time, it would just take a stair step down. It would just just basically be triggered by like CPI or the NAR for payrolls uh, that came out very strong. And you would see like the Treasury futures market just like slice through into like a, the next handle down, but stop right at that strike price due to a lot of this, you know, dealer hedging activity that's happening on the other side. And that's why you get these stair-step movements downwards in futures, and therefore stair-step movements upwards in yields. So indeed, you saw 10-year U.S. Treasury futures get to and through 2% because of futures and options on futures activity um, on 10-year U.S. Treasury futures. But at that point, I'm no longer looking at 10-year U.S. Treasuries. Um, in fact, I'm not looking at U.S. Treasuries at all. Why not? Because I'm looking at the 10-year JGB yield, which is at this point quickly closing in on, you know, 25 basis points, which is the upper bound of yield curve control. Um, and should it get there, the Bank of Japan would have to step in and conduct a fixed rate operation in which they would buy an unlimited or offer to buy an unlimited amount of JGBs in order to cap yields. And should they do that and succeed, or if they sh should they do that and just by act of doing that or announcing it, have yields back off because yields are capped in Japan, you're going to have a ton of Japanese capital flow out of Japan and hunt for yield elsewhere, like in the United States, where treasuries are now yielding 2%. And so that's what happened. So I have my whole video on that, right? And so I'm now I'm incorporating that part. Now BOJ is now uh, putting a floor on global sovereign rates. And they turn the market around. Bank of Japan is the most consequential. It should be the most focused on because it's the one that's keeping everything together. Um, whether or not they can, who knows? Um, but it seems like for now they can. So, like personally, I would take a if I were to take a market view, I would go uh, on a very short term basis. I would go long U.S. Treasuries right now because they seem they seem to be able to cap JGB yields and therefore global yields. And then, by the way, you also saw during this whole like you know treasury sell-off and when which uh yields were like screaming high ever higher you had this like very unusual like really strong 10-year u.s treasury auction result from indirect bidders it was like uh, it was either some record or like close to some record 
of indirect bidders like taking down um, the issuance. In the middle of like, you know, yields spiking. Very, very peculiar. But not really, because I suspect that that was just Japanese bidders. And you also have a day either before or day after that uh, very oddly strong treasury, uh, 10-year US Treasury auction. You had a very weak 10-year JGB auction. So there is an absence of buyers of JGBs at the primary auction. And there is a huge presence of buyers in the US Treasury auction. Probably the Japanese flow that is doing that. Right, because if the Bank of Japan just proved that they're going to hold the line at 25 basis points and now 10-year U.S. Treasuries, on the other hand, a 2% yield, yeah, you're going to take that. And then I'm watching U.S. Treasuries um, and how they respond to geopolitical risk just as uh, things are starting to really heat up in Ukraine. This is not um, full-out invasion day yet. But it's sort of getting there. But you can see price action and price movements. And you can see the bid for safe haven is back in U.S. Treasuries when there is geopolitical risk. So just because there's like uh, equity sell-off doesn't mean that there's going to be a bid for safe haven into Treasuries. No, it's a, it's a flight from Treasuries that's causing a risk off in equities. But when you have geopolitical risk, that's a totally different matter. Then you're going to get safe haven inflows. And that's exactly what we saw. And so as this um, Ukrainian crisis began to escalate, you can see it correlated with things like, you know, the euro ruble cross, for example, before the central bank of Russia started to intervene in the FX markets. Um, you can see risk assets move and correlate, you know, in line with, and with treasury yields. So that's what else got me to flip and now get bullish on treasuries. Okay, so that's about it. I know that was a lot. Um, I certainly traded a lot. My, my view is that yields are going to continue to fall. Equities are going to continue to fall. Um, crude is going to be north of 120 in short order. Um, commodities as a whole are. Um, and not, it's not really not because of like Russia and Ukraine or anything like that, because that was the trend already in place. And those sort of geopolitical risks and geopolitical events are now just exacerbating what was already in motion. If you liked this video um, and you'd like to see more of the trades that I've done, good and bad, um, hit the like button so that I'm aware that, you know, this is something that is in demand. Also follow me on Twitter at Across the Spread because I make live or real-time market commentary. Um, I've made comments on all of these positions uh, previously as well. Um, and otherwise, uh, thanks a lot for watching. We'll see you next time. And remember, if you listen to me, you will lose all of your money. Thank you. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.